page 1249 in the Church Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. This is the word of the Lord. We just thank you for Robin and we thank you for this passage of scripture that shows us so much of what your kingdom is and what it is possible to be. Lord, I pray that you would speak your words through Robin. Thank you for the preparation that has gone in. And I pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see what you are telling us. Let us leave change this morning Mm. through hearing your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, little Laura. It's lovely to see you. And it's a pleasure to be here at the non-traditional service. We're normally at Bicton at this time of day, as you probably know. But uh, this morning, I've been given a leave of absence from my home church. It's a privilege to share what is such a wonderful passage of Scripture a passage I hope is as real assurance for us who believe. It's about God's people who believe and trust in him. The context of the book of Revelation is rather extraordinary in the sense that nothing has changed. The vision of John was written at a time of severe persecution for Christians. In particular, the Roman authorities were beginning to enforce a cult of emperor worship. Christians who held, of course, that Christ and not Caesar is Lord faced increasing hostility. Early churches such as Smyrna and Philadelphia were being warned against this opposition and the trials of their faith. And indeed, Antipas had already been killed for his outspokenness And in other chapters, apart from chapter 2, we see that others were being persecuted for their faith. We escape that, sadly, and one wonders why. Perhaps our witness isn't strong enough. We don't really get persecuted here, but whatever's going on elsewhere in the world doesn't seem to be happening here. John, who wrote this and had this wonderful vision from God, was on the Greek island of Patmos, He, a Christian missionary, was banned, in fact, 
from his mission work where he was. But of course, nothing could shut him up out there in Patmos. And Patmos is right in the center, is it not, of most of our news bulletins today. Only yesterday was yet another boat sinking off the island of Patmos because it's the quickest landfall from Turkey and across from Syria. It's interesting that some within the church were advocating a policy of compromise back in those early days of Christianity. In other words, let's water it down a little bit and perhaps we won't get persecuted. This, of course, had to be corrected for the Christian faith had not only to stand fast in its teaching, but also to be outward-looking and reaching others for Christ. So can I remind you that we are actually in similar days. Nothing has changed. When I was at police training school, some of the acts of parliament we had to learn were pretty ancient, one of which was the 1824 Vagrancy Act. And I remember the day when we had to learn a whole passage out of there, one line of which was, begging is an arrestable offence. Not only may you arrest, but you must arrest. And one day I had actually to discipline one of my Christian police officers for instead of going up to the beggar and arresting him, as the, as the book said, he gave him a pound. <laughs> well, I found a pound here this morning. We could have gone there, couldn't we? Law changes, and sadly our country, instead of improving it, I believe has gone down the wrong track. We used to be called a Christian country, not because of the number of Christians here, but because our law was all based on Christian principles. But here we are in a day, not only in Britain, but in the Middle East, in Asia, in parts of Africa, and elsewhere, Christians are being persecuted, killed, imprisoned, and held hostage. In Iran, we know at least 20 pastors who are imprisoned because they lead a small group, a small church in a house. I saw in the news the other day that in North Korea, 850,000 Christians are incarcerated behind a wire fence, all clubbed together. And once you're known there as a Christian, you're immediately transported there. We know nothing of that, do we? The trials of our faith, I wonder. In some of the civilized countries, including the United Kingdom, the Christian faith is being compromised. Christians here perhaps are not so much persecuted, but our faith is being tried. We're accused of homophobia, in involved in sex scandals while teaching of the Lord in schools is being compromised. Or perhaps for the sake of peace, for broadcasters, for reporters, for the press, diminishing anything to do with the Christian faith. I don't know whether any of you saw that a motion had just been passed in Synod, the General Synod, on the premise that if we speak about the Lord Jesus to neighbours or friends or relatives, we're likely to know that four out of ten will completely turn their back on religion advocating not actually speaking about our faith. The other day on the golf course, I was walking between the fifth 
green and the sixth tee. And my colleague against whom I was playing said to me, Robin, what has Isaiah 53 got to do with Jesus? I expect he thought I would give him an answer before we reached the sixth tee, but the answer went on to the 18th. <laughs> Isaiah 53 has the whole context of the Lord Jesus. But am I supposed now, because of what's gone on in the Synod, to say, well, it has something to do with it, but uh, Arnie, I don't think I'll tell you. We are Christ's ambassadors if we're born again by the Spirit of God. And ambassadors cannot and will not and should not keep quiet. So once because we were called a Christian country, now we encourage non-Christian ethics in areas, for instance, such as abortion and same-sex marriages. What is taught in schools must not be too Christian, which seems so sad to me. But this has continued through centuries but some things haven't changed. The gospel is relevant as much today as ever it was in the day of Jesus. Nothing can undermine that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We should be shouting hallelujah to something like that because he hasn't changed. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Whatever persecution there is, Nothing can take away the hope of a Christian. We are not alone because his spirit is in us who believe and gives us the strength. And I believe the wisdom when to speak about him and when not to. So having set that scene of what was and what is, we can now examine these few verses that we've had so beautifully read this morning. Thank you very much. The core of the passage has just five words. And these are the things which Jesus saw, which John saw, and which John heard, and which John, of course, believed. So what did John see? Five things. He saw a new heaven and a new earth. Thank God for that. It would be great to have a new earth, wouldn't it? We're wondering what earth's going on in our earth today. The old passed away, said John, in this wonderful vision, everything is new. And there's no more sea. Those of you who don't like the sea and get seasick will never get seasick again when you get to heaven. Isn't that terrific? Think of a land of no sorrow. Think of a land with no fears. Think of no death and no sickness. Think of a land with no tears. There's nothing I can say which in any way embellishes what Scripture says about the kingdom of heaven. One of my colleagues began quite a long debate, not only with me, but with other colleagues as well in the police service, because at our son's funeral, I said these words in Manchester Cathedral, this is not goodbye, Steve, it's au revoir, see you later. And my colleagues couldn't understand what I meant by that, but it gave me the opportunity to speak to them about the Lord Jesus. Who was it who said, if I was shut up in a beer barrel, I'd still shout Christ through the bung, through the bunghole? I, I, you wouldn't get me in a beer barrel, I know, but I would still shout. I love speaking about Christ. John also saw the holy city, 
this new Jerusalem, which means possession of peace, this new Jerusalem coming down. I love Jerusalem, as you possibly know, my involvement with St. John includes the eye hospitals in Jerusalem and Hebron and in Gaza. I love being out there. They're Christian hospitals, they're eye hospitals, and people meet with Christ because we speak about our faith. But I love Jerusalem because of its hustle and bustle, that lovely marketplace which is about a mile long, all the noise that's going on there, and the bargains that are being struck, and the children who are running around. And yet, of course, it's a town, it's a city, which has a history of wars and of sieges and of imprisonments, of sacrifice, where Jesus was, and where he was arrested, mock tried, and ultimately just outside the city, crucified for you and me. But John saw a new Jerusalem, a possession of peace once again. He also said, in this vision, it was just like a bride who is beautifully dressed for her husband. Just a month ago, my grandson, Steve's son, was married, and there was a gasp as the bride entered the back door. Now, you'd have seen this at weddings yourself, I'm sure. But as the door opened, people were going, wow. And Sarah, his wife-to-be, walked through with that lovely white dress and a lovely bouquet. I think one or two of the young men had eyes on the, bridegroom, on the bridesmaids as well. They also looked pretty good. But isn't that the case? The bride is the centre of attention at a wedding. Not we men. We're just there to make up the numbers. But <laughs> uh, the bride adorned in all that splendour. Now, this is what John has seen, that gasp of delight. And this is the new Jerusalem, like a bride. It'll be a place of wonder as it's been prepared for us. And the fifth thing which John saw in his vision was the throne of God. It only gets a little mention, but it's from there that we hear the voice in a moment. We wonder what the throne looked like. But the throne itself shouldn't be the centre of attention. Who's on that throne? And who's on that throne in our life as well? John saw these five things, the new heaven, the new earth, no more sea, the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem with that brief mention of the throne. But in that vision, John also heard a loud voice. I wonder if it was the voice of God or the voice of the Lord Jesus, but it certainly came from the throne. And he said four things. So we have five things that John saw and these four things that he heard. Number one, that the dwelling of God is with men. And this is our theme this morning. They will be his people. That's to whom God is speaking, his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God forever. And listen, this is what only our loving Heavenly Father can do. He wipes away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, 
No more crying. No more pain. Who cares about the NHS? We won't need them anymore. Because that is the thing in the past when we go into glory and meet with the Lord Jesus. What we know here on earth in our short or long lives, that's all gone. Everything unpleasant, everything unholy, everything irritating, everything that's infuriating will have gone because Jesus said, I have made everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I've spent years trying to deal with people, both within and outside the law, whose words are not trustworthy and true. The times I've interrogated someone who's been caught red-handed doing some foul deed, who denies everything and says, oh, I've got an alibi, and they've got to find someone who backs up their lie as well. I wonder if we're always truthful, or are we tinging sometimes with the white lie? Whatever that is, Jesus' words are trustworthy and true, and we must believe this. It'll make such a difference to the way we approach death or Jesus coming again. Well, we know for certain all of us, and there's no exception, all of us are going to die unless Jesus comes before then. And there's much to be said for these imminent days. All right, Jesus himself didn't know the day when he's going to return, but we know he is going to. And it's all going to happen in the Middle East. And look at all the turmoil there is there. I wonder if we are prepared for it. Our son Steve, some while before he died, watched a Fact and, fact and Faith film. And the Fact and Faith film was called A Thief in the Night. And as Steve watched this film, it was the day when Jesus came to take home those who were his. And Steve saw mom and dad and two sisters go off into the distance with Christ. And he was left standing alone with a whole host of other people wondering what was going on. And Steve, realizing that he himself wasn't born again, turned to Christ. And what a missionary he became, even in the police service. John also heard this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To those who are thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And you and I know that the Alpha and the Omega are the first letters and the last letters in the Greek language. There is nobody who can compare with our God. Don't ever think, please, that there are other religions which have just as much authenticity as the Christian faith. There is none other. A little while ago, I was talking with six formers in Chester Cathedral. And afterwards, there was a question time. And we had a sort of panel of people. And the very first question was, why is it, Mr. Oak, that all you've done today is talked about the Christian faith? Surely there are others. And I said, you're absolutely right, there are others, but there's no other faith where the person we worship is alive. Christ died, but Christ is risen. Sadly, the guy next to me, sitting on this panel, said, I fundamentally disagree with everything that Mr. Oak has just said. 
How disgraceful. There's no debate about this. Christ is alive. Christ is coming again. He rules sovereignly over all human history. Of the 12 occurrences of that in Scripture, this is the second to last that we read, and the last one's in the next chapter, chapter 22 of Revelation. The greatest pleasures on earth can never be compared with the joys of heaven. Now, I've said that the central theme of this tonight, or this morning, which we've wrapped up in all sorts of other things, is that we, or they, will be his people. Sadly, so many people believe that all's okay. You've only got to read the star every week. There's usually some letter which denies the Christian faith or criticizes the Christian faith. But turning up to church is not a qualification. Christians do come to church because they want the fellowship. They want the teaching. They want to worship together. But it's not the qualification. I have in my pocket two coins here. We were removing pews in Picton Church. And as we pulled out one of the pews, we found these two coins. Some of you are old enough, I think, to remember pennies, are you? Now they're called pence. But these pennies, one of which is dated 1915 with George V, the other of which is 1946 with George VI thereon. But they're worthless. They've been to church for years, but they're absolutely worthless. Now, isn't it sad that lots of us have been to church for years and never actually been born again? This week I was with a mission in St. Ebb's Church in Oxford. Terrific time, lots of students, many counseled to new faith in Christ. I did meet one fellow afterwards who was an eminent scientist in, in Oxford in the university there. And he said to me, Robin, I'm so glad you came down here. I just want to share with you what happened to me. I have been coming to this church uh, his words were donkey's years. He's not actually a donkey, but he was certainly getting on a bit. I've been coming here for donkey's years, and only recently have I received Christ into my life. I've never felt the challenge. I thought coming to church was my life. It was something I looked forward to. But I was never born again until recently. Did you know that John Wesley, son of a vicar, went into the church himself. He even went to take a campaign in America and not a soul was saved. And he came back to England very despondent, but he himself, listening to a fellow preacher, recognized that you cannot inherit the Christian faith. God, as somebody once said, is nobody's grandfather. We have to have a personal meeting with him. I once met a lady when I was a young PC, and perhaps a little naive, but she was carrying bags like this across the road by Lord's Cricket Ground. And I went across to her, I said, can I help you with those bags? She said, oh, yes, young man. That was very nice. Yes, young man, you can. And as I spoke with her and talked about her and her life and whatnot, I asked her about her Christian faith. Young man, she said, you don't need to worry about me. My nephew is the Bishop of Norwich. 
That's a great help, isn't it? <laughs> My word. Uh, so I ask, have we an assumption about our faith or have we an assurance about our faith? Do we actually know and are we certain that we have had our sin forgiven, that we are new creations in Christ, that we have been reconciled with God? It's a challenge, one, that we should know about ourselves and also as his ambassadors share with others as well. I want to talk to you as well, and I'm just about to finish, about Edith and Bill. Edith, an opera singer of some fame. Bill, the open golf champion of 1938, now in a wheelchair. And I had to deal with them over some complaint they had about my police colleagues in Brixton in London. And at the end of it all, she said to me as I said goodbye, Mr. Oak, why is it you're always cheerful? Actually, I'm not always cheerful. I was never that cheerful when I was playing rugby, being bashed about like this World Cup going on. But anyway, why are you so cheerful? I said, it must be because of my Christian faith. Tell me about it, she said. Well, anyway, I used to pop in there on the way home and talk about my faith. Bill, her husband in a wheelchair, always wheeled himself out. He wouldn't hear me talking about Christ. But Edith, who'd been going to church with Bill most of her life, suddenly realized she hadn't actually had a Christian faith. She was thrilled that moment when she received Christ into her life and repented of her sin. Some weeks later... I got a phone call in my office from Bill. I don't know what you've done to my wife, he said, but I need to speak to you. And I thought, boy, I'm in trouble. So I popped in on my way home, and I said, what's the matter, Bill? He said, well, come on in. He said, I want what Edith has got. So I began to talk to him about Christ dying on the cross. He said, stop, stop, stop. I was outside of my wheelchair. I heard every word you said to Edith. I just wanted you here when I received Christ into my life. Do you know, it's a great thrill, I'm sure you would know this as Christians, when you introduce someone to faith in Christ. An even bigger thrill when you yourselves receive Christ into your life. Well, I finished with these words. We adopted Adoption Sunday, isn't it? And these lovely words from Ephesians, that we have been adopted through Jesus by his love. Have we? Have we come into that family? Are we absolutely certain of that? How sad it would be if we reach the gates of the kingdom of heaven, this new Jerusalem, and we have to be told, I never knew you. Wouldn't that be sad? Too late. Think of a land of no sorrow. Think of a land with no fears. Think of no death. And no sickness. Think of a land and no tears. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this vision that you gave to John, even though he was exiled, being punished for his faith. Help us, Lord, this morning as we examine ourselves to see exactly where we stand. Thank you, Lord, for the faith we have. But, Lord, for any who don't know you, I would pray, and we pray for together any who don't yet know you personally as their saviour.
Lord, help us to come to grips with that this morning, recognise that he died in our place. Hear us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.